Hi there. Welcome to Career Girls, a podcast by Ace and Tate for women who know that professional success is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm your host, Zeng Sing, and I'm a journalist and the author of the book series Forgotten Women. Now, let me say this, first of all. I am not a dancer. I did some ballet classes at kindergarten and I love going out clubbing, but that is small fry compared to my next guest on Career Girls. Hi, my name is Michaela De Prince and I'm a soloist with Dutch National Ballet, co-author of Taking Flight and ambassador with War Child Holland. The first time I saw Michaela on stage, she was performing at the Women in the World Festival in London and she has everything. In case you've never seen her before, she has grace, power, strength, agility. That four-year-old me galumphing around that kindergarten class does not. But Michaela's path to the Dutch National Ballet started in a very unlikely place, at an orphanage in Sierra Leone during the country's brutal civil war. After I lost both my parents, um, my uh, father, biological father was killed by the rebels and my mother passed away soon after. But I don't think I ever dreamt of having the life that I have now. I never thought that I would be adopted or feel loved or to even have something to to have hope in or to dream about. And to be a ballerina now is just, I mean, it's amazing. I remember the first time I went to, when I got adopted, I went to the supermarket for the first time. And for me to see all that food was one of the best things I've ever witnessed. I remember I took like a bunch of grapes and I just started eating them because I didn't know you had to pay one. <laughs> but um, I just... I starved a lot as a young child and um, to see that and to have a family that cared so much about me and to also have my best friend with me because we were both number 26 and number 27 and to have your best friend become your sister was like a dream come true and then to to be surrounded by so many people who cared about you and you didn't know why but they loved you for who you were and that was incredible. You might think that Michaela stumbled across ballet after she was adopted but no, she always had that burning desire to dance. Back in Sierra Leone, she had it as well. The first time I encountered ballet was actually, I found a magazine in Sierra Leone. It was on the orphanage gate and um, there was a ballerina on the cover. It was a ballet book in general. It's called Point Magazine, actually. And it was, um, the the magazine was actually published in 1989, I believe, or earlier. But um it was incredible because then I found it 10 years later. And this woman, actually, I know who she is. Her name is Magali Messack. And we've had so many opportunities to um, meet each other, but somehow it wasn't the time yet. And she has worked with my teachers, my ballet mistresses, ballet masters. Um, she's danced in all the places I've danced, which is incredible. So somehow our paths are in- intertwined. But when I saw this cover of the magazine, it was the best thing I've ever seen. It was exactly what I needed at that time. It was exactly the thing that inspired me to to think, okay, yeah, I, I can be something like this. I can be happy one day. And this ballerina is a reason why, Magali is a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, the tutu and the, the position was incredible, but it was this effortless and it was kind of like this like fairy godmother in a way. And yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Then what really struck me was the cover of it. So I started doing her positioning, but I wanted to show everybody else in the orphanage as well, but nobody really cared. Um, I showed my best friend, my sister, and but she was more into the music and everything else. So she was like, ah, well, whatever. But for me, I wanted it to be only mine and it was very special to me. So I ripped the cover off and I put it in my underwear and I would always look at it and do the exact same positions and trying to mimic her and 
but only, I didn't want people to also know that I had this dream in a way. So I would only do it when I, I was alone, but it was incredible. And somehow, thank God, I'm actually good at ballet because if I wasn't, that would have been really, really horrible. Um, and okay, also thank God I wasn't like a tennis player because I'm also super uncoordinated when it comes to like the sports and balls and things like that. But um, yeah, it was incredible to to be able to mimic what she was doing and to feel like, okay, maybe this can this dream of mine can actually come true. I was quite straightforward. I Also, the thing is, I didn't really believe that this was actually true, that I got adopted, that I was having this incredible life. So when uh, my mom, my adopted mom picked us up, my mom, we were in the hotel and I assumed, okay, she's American. She's going to have everything. She's going to have my tutu, my point shoes. I just have to look in her luggage for it. So I was looking and looking and then I didn't speak a lot of English. So I had the only way for me to tell her what I wanted to be was by showing her this precious thing from my underwear, the cover of it. And she understood right away. Um, and then when we went to the U.S., I started a ballet class as soon as I could learn a few words of English because she wanted me to do that especially. And I just, I was annoying. I just wouldn't stop dancing. <laughs> you know, this was everything that I wanted to do. And then I remember the first time I saw like a performance was um, the Nutcracker by New York City Ballet, the Balanchine version, which Pennsylvania Ballet also did at the same time. And I watched it over and over again. And I remember I, I knew every single step. And when uh, my mom... And my father took us to the first ballet that I ever saw was Philadelphia Ballet, a Pennsylvania Ballet. And because it's the exact same as the Balanchine version, so it's very similar. And I remember it was Waltz of the Flowers and this one girl messed up because I knew all the steps. And I was like, mom, she messed up. And my mom was like, shh, stop it. It was quite embarrassing, but I knew, I knew, I was like, she's off tempo, but this is also me when I watch shows, I'm looking at every single detail. I'm like, oh, that person messed up, uh-oh. But um, yeah, so it was a... a she knew, I think, right after that performance, okay, this girl's really serious about this. And yeah. Michaela was only six years old when she saw that ballet, but she hated her first class. All we did was skip around. I didn't see, I was like, this is pointless. I was very, I was very um, feisty little girl, but I wanted to do plies. I wanted to do, you know, tendus and everything. And I wanted to do pirouettes. I wanted my tutu, my tiara, my point shoes. But you have to wait to get those things. So. Michaela started learning the proper craft of ballet at seven and went on point at eight years old. And trust me when I say that she is and always has been driven. But that's only because ballet holds a special place in her heart. The de determination I had for it was because it was my outlet to express myself. It was the best way I could express myself of how I felt and how I couldn't understand anything or what I couldn't understand. It was I just let it out by dancing. It's just, I'm in my own bubble. I have, it's kind of, I feel a bit selfish because of it because we have time from 10 to six every day to just do our own thing and let the outside world do whatever they want to do. And when I'm on stage, there's different moments. Sometimes it feels like I'm out of, out of body experience. Sometimes I'm just having so much fun with my friends on stage. Like we actually are laughing and smiling and we're having a conversation between each other. And it's, it's quite special and it's the best feeling and it's the most... Um, yeah, you just want more. You want to continue doing it. Even after the hardest ballets, you want to do it again because you get such an adrenaline rush and you feel like it's you are you and nothing is blocking you from expressing yourself. It's incredible.
When Michaela turned 14, she moved to Philadelphia for boarding school and trained there, before moving to New York at 16 for even more training, including at Dance Theatre of Harlem, the first black classical ballet company in the world. She was learning the art just as attitudes were changing towards black ballerinas. For Dance Theatre of Harlem, um, the first time I went there was when I was 12 years old, and I was I had the opportunity to work with Arthur Mitchell. Arthur Mitchell was the founder of uh, Dance Theatre of Harlem, and he was the reason why people were thinking, okay, black people can be actual ballerinas. They can, they can be classical dancers. They just don't have to be modern dancers. He was changing the dynamic of the way people see um, African-American dancers. Um, and he was scary, really scary. But he showed me that I could be more than I thought I could be. And I'm so grateful that he was my mentor and he has inspired me since the first time we met each other. Um, he gave me this nickname and it was Mickey and I hated it only because I knew it was from him. But he... Um, I later um, actually enjoy the name because he's he has inspired me so much. So when I was uh, 17 years old, I um, after I left American Ballet Theater in New York City, um, the JKO school, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School, I went to Dance Theater of Harlem and they gave me the opportunity to find my strength, to find my voice, to be more outspoken, to be who I am and not to be ashamed of it. And that is, it all started with Arthur Mitchell when I was 12. And um, I don't regret being in that company. And I was there for a full year, but I needed something more, which is why I moved to Dutch National, uh, to Holland to join a Dutch National Ballet when I was 19. And they've pushed me and I don't regret that as well. And I've had incredible opportunities. My director really believes in me and I sometimes wonder why. <laughs> I remember he promoted me when I was soloist and I was like, wait, are you sure? <laughs> but um, yeah, it has been an incredible, incredible career so far. But Michaela always knew from early on that she was different to her white contemporaries. The first time I ever experienced that was when I was eight years old, at a very young age, and it has always been a constant reminder, a constant thing behind my, uh, in my head, especially when I would go to auditions and the girl right next to me would have the exact same body type. I would, I mean, I'm a really good jumper, I have to say that. And I would jump higher than her and I, would, I had more technique, I was very strong, I, but they accepted her because she was white. And it was always like, oh, well, we, we already have an African-American dance in our company, so we don't, you know, or um, your body type, it doesn't fit you. I remember I came to Holland uh, when I was 16 years old and I got food poisoning or stomach flu and I lost five kilos. And the company that um, I wanted to get into in September said, oh, we don't like your body. I lost five kilos. They said, oh, yeah, you're, we like your body now. And I was like, wait, no, this is not the place I want to be. I was, I mean, I... Once I started eating again, I, I love food. You know, I chose the wrong career for that. But I love food and, and food also fuels us. It's our way to be able to perform fully. And I was hungry and I just was, I didn't have enough energy. And it was just me in this days of trying to be somebody I wasn't. And they loved me for that, but I didn't love myself. So I was like, this is not the place for me. Um, but it's a constant reminder, I'm a black ballerina. And it's a topic I'm hoping that eventually the next generation doesn't have to talk about, that we don't constantly have to justify ourselves by the color of our skin. It's a bit tiring, you know, to have to, and the thing is as well, like, it's not just a reminder that I'm a black ballerina, it's also a reminder I'm a black African-American woman daily. So it's a con like, the thing I love the most and also just being a normal person is a constant reminder of my color of my skin. Now Michaela is more optimistic about the future, but especially about her dream of being a principal dancer. More accurately, it's about being an artist who moves people. I think the dance industry definitely is changing. It's a small shift, but it's happening. It's really happening. And, um, but the thing is, people want it to happen when it's, when it's on top, but it has to happen from the schools. It has to happen when 
kids are young, you can't discriminate them just because they're born a certain way. They didn't say, oh, I want to be black or I want to be uh, Asian or I want to be Caucasian. No, they didn't ask for that. They have a dream and they want to be able to pursue that dream and you're shutting them down because of their color of their skin. Being a principal dancer, you can be at the top, but you can also be super emotion, like emotionless. And for me, when I see a dancer who does this, the way they do the steps, the way they just, even just with their foot, the way they look, and it's their voice. It's incredible. And even those dancers can be in the court of ballet. And they are exactly the kind of um, artist or ballerina that I want to be. Somebody who can make somebody cry or somebody who can make somebody believe, oh my God, that you were dancing for me. And that's what I love when people come up to me. And they, I don't really see people in the audience, but they're like, oh, I saw you looking at me. And I was like, great. <laughs> um, but as long as I can change somebody's thought or whatever they're going through, that I can make them happy or forget what they're going through, that's the kind of artist I want to be. And that's the best ballerina I'm hoping to become. Listening to Michaela, it's easy to think she's had this charmed rise as a dancer. But it hasn't always been this easy including an almost life-altering injury to her Achilles tendon. I was in Sicily, Italy, and um, I'm clumsy. You would think ballerinas are so graceful. I'm not. Um, I stepped in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was at a temple. It was dark. um, And I I knew right away I ruptured it. And for me, it's not just... Ballet is not just a thing I love. It's It's my soul. It's my everything. It makes me who I am. And dance is my best way to express myself. So I had surgery and had a horrible time with that. Um, My stitches wouldn't heal. Um, I've had other obstacles as well, but obstacles as well with um, people who didn't believe in me, um, people who constantly reminded me that I wasn't good enough, Um, but just obstacles of the fact that I was constantly reminded that you're not going to be a dancer. You're not good enough. You're not thin enough. You're not white enough. You're not um, what we want. And it was... It was hard because I, I believe them because you're thinking, okay, they, they've they danced, they understand, they're my teachers, they're um, the people I look up to, so they must um, know exactly what's best for me. But eventually I had to realize what was best for me and not to listen to those obstacles, not to let those obstacles af- um, affect me. Um, but I'm constantly dealing with different obstacles every single day of constantly critiquing myself, looking at myself in the mirror, making sure everything is perfect is... Don't do ballet, just kidding. But um, it's a beautiful art, but you also have to know and you have to be surrounded by people who can get you out of that rut for you not to constantly think you're not good enough. And Michaela was also haunted by her memories of her childhood in Sierra Leone. Because of that as well, like I had a lot of PTSD because of that. And um, it was a lot of survival guilt because I, I believe the people that I lost, they deserve to be able to have the experience that I had and that I was witnessing and um, they didn't deserve to be treated the way they were treated. They didn't deserve to pass away. And, you know, I felt like they could have um, had a better life. But because of that, I continued to persevere and to be what I am because of them. The people that I lost, they inspired me to keep going and to keep pushing and to, to try to change the world to be a better place. When Michaela feels at her lowest, when she feels stuck in that rut she always talks about, she has a few ways to help her move forward. Oh, and therapy helps too. Oh, therapy is the best thing, I think. And I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. I absolutely think I would not be who I am. I would not be as open or as unashamed of what I've experienced if it wasn't for my therapist, if it wasn't me reaching out. Like that's one of the things I am most proud of, like for myself, that I went and I got help. I went and I talked about my problems. I went to figure out how can I make myself a better person, um, And that also helped me become a better artist as well. 
I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, from my experiences from Sierra Leone and afterwards as well. Um, because it was something I always thought I was, um, it was weird to have these nightmares constantly every single night. It kept getting worse. But it was also because I, I want to help people so much and I keep telling my story and I keep telling it, but it's also a constant reminder of what I've been through and, and having to relive that every single night and then having to go to work and um, to be dancing and to constantly be thinking of the dreams and the nightmares I had before. It was very distracting and I was just living for two, three years in this days of just trying to get through life and not living it like exactly how I wanted to. Um, and then I kind of felt like I can't tell people to believe in themselves if I'm not okay. So I need to be able to to speak my truth and to really not feel like a fraud. I mean, we all go through things, we all do, but I want to be able to say these things 100% when I tell people to to love themselves or to believe in themselves because I, I feel like I'm very expressive and I feel like people can tell if I'm going to say something and it's not true. I think it's refreshing to hear people talk openly about their mental health and their experiences with therapy. Michaela found one kind of therapy particularly helpful for her too. EMDR is um, rapid eye movement, so you have to you have to go back into your past, and it's it's painful, but uh, you have to get your stress level from ten to zero. You have to figure out a situation if it happens again. If you smell something that triggers something, you have to figure out how do you calm yourself. How do you not make yourself um, relive that um, what you experienced and yeah, it's hard. And sometimes that stress level only goes to five and you have to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. But then you realize the situation that it's not going to happen to you again. Because it took me two years when I got adopted to really believe that I got adopted. I was too scared to fall asleep thinking if I fell asleep, I'd wake up and be back in Sierra Leone. And even after I was like, okay, maybe I did get adopted and truly believed it. It still took time to think, hmm. Is this really the, like, how can I be so blessed with such an incredible life? You know what I mean? You're like, when's the ball going to drop? But um, yeah, EMDR was, it's painful, but it's an incredible thing. And therapists out there, you guys are amazing. So thank you. You know, it's okay to ask for help. And I, I, I'm just so glad I did. I'm so glad that I have um, somebody to talk to. And it doesn't have to be your friends because, I mean, we're... It's, it's, it's better, I think, to also go to therapists and to have kind of like an outside um, view of things. <clears throat> and I'm very grateful, yeah. People go through so many little things and we, I hate it when people also are like, oh, well, I haven't gone through what you've gone through. We've, you've gone through something. We don't compare. You know, you have to deal it in your way. You have to deal with your trauma. And it, sometimes it's really not fun. It really isn't. But I believe that if we break the cycle of dealing with your trauma, the next generation is not going to have to deal with it. And I think that is the most uh, important thing because we constantly put our traumas and um, project our problems onto the next generation. This is the cycle that we need to break. It's also with ballet constantly being negative and telling people you're not good enough because they were taught that way. So when I teach, I'm, I try to be as positive as possible. I'm strict. Believe me, I'm strict, but I will make sure they have an understanding of why I'm strict. I'm not going to be mean because that's not okay to tell people, oh, you're horrible or you're too short or you look like a... I've, I've heard horrible things and I can't believe even I've left classes because of the way teachers have talked to students. Luckily, I'm in a company now, so people can't talk to me like that. But if I was a student, they would. And I want to change that because the next, gen the next generation does not deserve to feel the way I have or the generation above me has felt. So it turns out that all the ballet films we watched growing up were right. Ballet is an art form, but it's also a ruthless, cutthroat business. I can't imagine what it's like to train for over a decade and to be told over and over again that you're not doing well enough, that you're not making the grade. How did Michaela deal with it? I'm going to prove you guys all wrong. So um, 
Unfortunately, this career, though, it quite, quite was difficult for me to do that because I was constantly being told, no, 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 you're not good enough. So I second-guessed myself. Should I change that? Should I, should I um, change their mind with the fact of the way I feel about myself? And I wasn't feeling good. And I was like, this isn't fun. And then I started not loving ballet because of the fact that the way they treated me, I was thinking, okay, maybe I should quit, I should quit, I should quit. And then I realized, hmm, I had people coming into my life that were showing me a different way, a different way to be, a different way to love myself and a different way to love the thing, the thing that I'm doing. And then I just changed. I just was like, okay. And I think as well, I just found my voice and I'm holding on to this voice because I want to change the world. I want to change the way people see people. I want to change the way the ballet world is and the aspect of it because it is such a beautiful art and it's such a beautiful thing to have. And we're ruining it by being so mean and so competitive to each other. I think Michaela's experiences with being undervalued and being told she's not good enough are so universal, even if you're not a powerhouse ballerina. So what advice would she give to someone in a creative field who also feels like they're struggling in the same way? The advice I would give to them if they're getting a lot of negative noise into their life would just be write down why, what what makes you think you're good enough to do this? What makes you think, like, I have actually, my sister has helped me with this. I write down what I love about myself, what I love about my career, what I love about my friends, why I want to be where I am. You write about all as much positivity and you're putting it out. I, this is what I believe. You're putting it out in the universe and it will come back to you. And just to know if somebody is telling you something negative and it doesn't benefit you, you don't need to listen at all. It's not going to make you feel better and it's going to make them feel better by putting you down. Um, so go to somebody else, have somebody else give you advice, go to a different school or um, listen to different people online. But negativity is not going to make you better or it's not going to be able to push you to become the absolute incredible being that you want to be. So don't listen to that white noise or um, um, negative noise at all. Don't let it affect you because it's not going to make you better. Now it sounds like Michaela's in a good place. Her career is thriving. She published a book. She danced in a Beyonce music video. Her life is even being turned into a film by Madonna. But it took a long time to get to this point. So what would she say to the orphaned girl from Sierra Leone all those years ago? I've met many young black girls who wanted to be ballet dancers. The first time I met these cute two little girls in Vermont, I was on the cover of a magazine and they started ballet after seeing me on the cover of the magazine. So I was very, um, sorry, cover of the newspaper. I was very excited about that. And I'm hoping they're still dancing today. Um, but a lot of black young girls have also started ballet because of me and also older black women as well. So very happy with that. Before I let Michaela go, I want to ask her what we usually ask our guests on the podcast. You know, what films they're enjoying, TV shows, books or otherwise. But then I was like, hey, we've got a ballerina here. So we should ask her what ballets we should all watch. I think like one of the best ballets is The Nutcracker. It's a family ballet. It's fun. It's cute. It's funny. Cinderella is a great, incredible ballet. Romeo and Juliet. If you're not a ballet person, I think you should definitely go see The Nutcracker. It's great. It's incredible. I'm Zing Sing, and you've been listening to Career Girls, a podcast from Ace and Tate. Thank you for joining us, and thanks so much to my guest, Michaela. If you're in Amsterdam, you can check her out dancing for the Dutch National Ballet or follow her on Instagram or Twitter. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please toss us a like and hit subscribe. Tune in next time for more honest and inspiring career journeys. <laughs>